Welcome to the Root of Power podcast, where I teach you how to step into your power, find alignment, and create a life that you love using holistic methods, interviews with industry leaders, and inspiring stories from people who know that true freedom is found within. I'm your host and health and wellness bestie, Amanda Chills, and I'm so proud of you for choosing to step into the root of your power. Hello, podcast fam. We are here with a total powerhouse of a woman who really puts her energy and time into empowering other people to rise above their circumstances, do what needs to be done to take control of your own life. So we are here with Tiffany. Hello. Hey there. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here and flattered to be called a powerhouse. You are, ma'am. Just listen. Y'all don't know yet, but after you listen to this episode, you're going to be like, damn, Amanda, you were right. She's powerhouse. <laughs> now, how do you pronounce your last name? So my last name is hyphenated. It's Huff. And then my last name, my second last name is Struthers. I always say Struthers like brothers. Okay. So Tiffany Huff Struthers, tell us who you are. So I am an evangelist and I carry out my work as an evangelist through being a coach and being a speaker and running uh, a nonprofit organization and also this business. And ultimately I am very passionate about helping women overcome their most traumatic or life changing setbacks and then sharing their stories and experiences to make impact and income. And so it's, you know, some, obviously a large majority of my clients, I help write books, but as a storyteller, you don't have to do it through the pages of the book, right? You could start a business like I did. You could start an organization, you could become a speaker. And so I really work with women to help them get to the root of their message and work with them to help them get it out into the world so that they can bless others and live transformational lives. First of all, that's such a great elevator pitch. Like that is very succinct and lovely. Why <laughs> is your goal to help them spread their message? Why is that where you landed? Well, uh, it's twofold. First, because that's what God told me to do, and He's the boss. Um, but second, yeah. ultimately, it's because we learn from each other. And so I feel like if I bump my head at the top of the steps, then I owe it to you to tell you to duck before you get to the top of the steps, or you're going to bump your head too, right? So it's a yeah. way to pay it forward. And it also allows us to tap into the power and value of our experiences, right? If I've experienced something and then I share it and it could help you or 10 other people, why would I want to keep it to myself? Good question. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot in the last couple of weeks is how humans exist in relation to one another. And I think that's one of the things, whatever year people are listening to this, it's coronavirus, everything is shut down, we can't connect. Um, so perhaps if it's like 2050, what's up from the past? Uh, right. So COVID has really, I think, force people to take a lot of stock in their relationships, how they're prioritizing them, how they were not prioritizing them. 
why they're so necessary, what they gave people. And in, in my head, when I envision human beings, I think of us as only existing in relation to one another. And I heard a quote a long time ago that said, if you don't, if nobody remembers you, you don't exist. And so if you don't put yourself out there and share your story, then you don't exist. And that's not a life that you're living. So I love that you are getting people to share their story. I would imagine that another or one of the very cool things that often comes out of sharing your story and owning it is that you make your own meaning from it. And that really what I see is such a healing space. It's a very you, space. Can you talk about that? And maybe some of the clients that you've worked with, obviously, you know, don't share what you don't want to, but how you've seen them own their story, find meaning in it and how that has helped the healing process. So, yeah, I think that it's very challenging initially, especially when you're in your own head and you're doing it yourself, because mm -hmm. a lot of what we need to heal from in the midst of that process, right? We might be feeling shame. We might be feeling guilt. We just really want to get through it and let it be over and move on with our lives and not have to deal with it anymore, right? We, I'm sure you've heard people say, I'm so glad I don't look like what I've been through. And so if you don't look like what you've been through, then people probably don't know you've been through it, right? Like when my neighbor read my book, she was just like, oh my God, Tiffany, I can't believe this is you. Yeah. But that's the reason why we have to share because we've been so stigmatized by what we need to heal from, right? And so my work is really centered around not feeling like you have to be a victim, but being able to celebrate your victory. And if you don't recognize the power of what you've had to heal through, then there's no victory to celebrate. And so I don't want what I don't want you or anybody who's listening to me talk, hear me saying is like, this is about woe is me. It's definitely not about woe is me. It's about finding, not even finding, it's about tapping into your power as a result of what you've grown through, what you've overcome and how you've healed. For anyone who's listening, please go back and replay what she just said. Because I'm over here like screaming internally. Um, yes to everything you just said. I'm sorry, that was so good. I need a second. <laughs> but it's like, so here's the thing about it, Amanda, is that that's part of the work that I do. Because again, for a lot of people, when you've dealt with something for a very long time, even when you're in the midst of or other on the other side of the healing, it's just like, okay, I'm done with that. I'm packing it up like a, like a box, you know, like when you get skinny, like if you're overweight and you lose weight, it's like, I'm done with those fat clothes. Anybody can have them. I don't want to see them ever again. Right. Yeah. But and I'm not saying you got to keep your fat clothes. Don't hear me saying that. But what I am saying is there is power in the journey that it took for you to get into the new clothes from when you were wearing those old clothes. And the person yes. who was wearing those other clothes was still a valued person, was still a beautiful person, still has something to share with the world. So when you get to the point where you're ready to make that transition, you've got to be mindful and intentional about carrying the lessons with you, not necessarily the burden, but pulling the lessons out so that they move into the future yeah. with you and you don't get into a cycle of needing to buy new fat clothes again. Or <laughs> need validation or right. sharing for 
to be a victim and to get the positive things that come from that. You get sympathy, you get attention, people feel bad for you, blah, blah, blah. Right. So what you're saying, the way it's translating in my head and something I say often is that you have to dig the rot out. So those things are a burden because they're heavy and we don't always know how to carry them. And I love that something that's happening kind of recently in culture is that trauma is becoming defined not just in something that's like a big t trauma i don't know if you've heard that term before but it's not just a sexual assault or a car crash or um, a a war so there's so many things that just overwhelm your ability to cope that now being accurately defined as trauma because they have been this whole time people were just ignoring them so you are so right finding the lesson and so i one of the things i say often in my practice is you have to learn to put things down not that they change or we solve mm-hmm. them or they're different. They're just no longer ours to carry. Or we figure out a way. So I often say something like, imagine you're carrying all of your stuff in a bag and you're having it over your shoulder, but it's heavy and you're climbing a mountain and it gets caught on stuff. And it's just really hard. What owning finding the lessons allows you to do is it doesn't change what you went through, but it's like putting all that stuff in a wagon. So now it's way easier to carry. If it's going downhill, you just shove it downhill and you meet it at the bottom. You do so much less work carrying what you're carrying. And sometimes you just put it down because you don't need it anymore. And one of the ways to do that is to own your story and to say, you know what? I may have been through it, but my survival rate for the worst days of my life is 100%. Oh, yes. And that's pretty good. (laughs) It is. It's very good. And so I don't know if you want to go here now, but I'll share that. There are three questions I generally ask my clients to get them to the point to understanding and seeing and having the clarity about the power and the value in what they've experienced. And so... Um, For anybody who's listening, grab your journal or your notebook and jot these down or press pause and go and get it. Um, So the first one is, what have I learned from this experience? Right. Because if you are able to vocalize what you've learned, it's much different than saying this is what happened to me. Mm -hmm. This is why, you know, I'm this way. It's like, what have you learned from this experience? Being able to answer the question that way makes it a positive thing as opposed to a negative thing and, you know, victimizing yourself all over again. That's the first question. And generally, I have people list at least three lessons, right? I like the number. The second question is, how has what I've learned, how has what I've experienced transformed me, right? Another thing people love, the transformation. How did you get there? How did you do that? And so if you're able to pull that out, then that, again, is something you can lead with. And that also helps you to tap into the how powerful and enriching and transformational that experience was, even if it wasn't the best experience. Yeah, while you even if it sucked. And then the third question is like, is this the right time and context for me to share this, right? Obviously, some people are going to be greater impacted from what you have to share than others. So is it the right time? Are these the right people? And for anyone who's listening, who's been challenged by sharing their story, tapping into the power, I can tell you right now in 2020, people need to hear more stories of overcoming and inspiration and and I can do it, you can do it than mm-hmm. ever before. Yes. It is the best way to support someone 
and going through something challenging. And in some way, shape, or form, everyone's being challenged in a new way in 2020. Oh, God. Amen. (laughs) 100%. So it sounds like your process allows people to say, why did this happen for me instead of to me? That's right. Or and that's how we learn to listen. Yes. Another way to ask that question is, what am I supposed to take away from this? Mm-hmm. Right. I, I feel like sometimes when we ask why, we get down a rabbit hole. But it's like, what am yeah. I supposed to take away from this? What is this yeah. supposed to be teaching me? Right. Or mm-hmm. what am I supposed to be teaching someone else from this experience? I say often that um, grief and darkness are also a gift. Oh, absolutely. The challenge, though, is that we are very rarely warned about the grief that comes with growth, right? We want to grow and we want to be better versions of ourselves and all of those things. But there's grieving that comes with that. There are things that you're going to have to release to be able to get on the other side of that. And one of my favorite examples of that is And now is the perfect time to share this example. So it's fall, at least depending on where you are in the world, right? Where I am right now, I can look out my back window and the leaves are beautiful. And my husband will be talking about how we need to rake them up. And I'm like, but they look so pretty. But here's, here's the point of what I'm sharing. So if you look out, the trees begin to release the leaves when they're the most beautiful, when the colors are bright and they're all of the different colors and they look so pretty. But really, this is the season when the tree is shedding things, right? And it, to me, is an indication from nature that sometimes we have to release beautiful things. And we don't necessarily like that, right? Because after the tree releases all of the beautiful leaves, they look bare, right? Mm -hmm. When it gets cold and it starts to get dark earlier and it's like the trees are so ugly and they look so like dead, for lack of a better (laughs) word. Yeah, they do. And sometimes that happens in our journeys. But the thing Mm -hmm. is, if the trees were to skip the season of release, they would have no time to prepare for the next season, which is when the green leaves begin to come back. And so the same thing is true for us in our healing processes. Sometimes we're gonna have to release things that are we think are beautiful in one season, but the process of healing is a process of unbecoming to become. So you have to unbecome the things that you thought were beautiful to become this new version of beautiful. Like your new life is gonna cost you your old life. That's right. All the time, and it is, that's why change can be so hard. So this is a good time to say, like, it sounds like you've learned this the hard way, right? So your new life costs you your old excuses, your old self, your old dynamics, your old conditioning. And it doesn't stop, right? Like, I'm in a season where I was just telling my therapist, like, I feel like so many of my relationships are coming to the season where it's like, Obviously, you don't throw friends away, but there's a lot of transition happening. Mm -hmm. And initially, I was like all bummed out about it. But Mm -hmm. when I take the time to take a step back, I can get excited because that means that some new things are about to grow. Right. What a powerful perspective. Right. And I can I can still appreciate what was with those relationships. I can Mm -hmm. still value those people. It's just the dynamic is a little bit different. Yeah. And I think. To counter what you said a second ago, you said it doesn't stop, but it can. Everything is a choice. You can make the choice to say, you know what? 
I don't want to grow. I don't want to do the work. It's and there's a very, right? So there's a fine nuance between I'm tired and I need to rest and I'm too afraid to step into that version of myself. This is true. And I see people, because I'm a therapist, on the end of the spectrum that says I can't do it. Or sometimes they don't know how. Sometimes it's a skills deficit, which is lovely. Listen, everything you want is on the other side of just learning a skill. That's right. Um, and sometimes it's I, I have this thing in my hand and it's miserable, but I know what to expect. And this thing over here, I think I'll be happy, but maybe I don't think I deserve to be happy. And it's still new and that's scary. And the misalignment that happens when you decide to stay is when you re- really when you start to decay. Right. And when and we it, start to feel like we're yeah. stuck. Yes. And it causes such a misalignment in your soul. And that's when people get depression and they get anxiety and they become in the same patterns. And I'm just like, listen, you're not depressed. You're not doing the shit you need to do to live your life. (laughs) Not that depression doesn't exist, right? Don't at me, people. (laughs) Someone's going to be like, you don't believe in depression. You're a therapist. Not what I said. Um, So share your story and what you went through and how all these lessons kind of came organically for you? So (laughs) that's like a loaded question, but I'll do my best to not have everybody here till tomorrow. So (laughs) when I was a little girl, I grew up in like the American dream, right? Like two parent household, although there were three of us, not two kids. So I have an older sister and an older brother. My parents were married. They're like high school sweethearts, all of the things. And then just as easily as we were the quote unquote American dream, we became like the billboard for every epidemic for the black community. So my mom started struggling with mental health issues. My dad got addicted to drugs. My sister was a teenage mom. My brother was in a gang and just, then there was me like in the corner reading the babysitter's club. And so I was, the one thing that I had to hold on to was achievement because I was very smart, right? And my sister was also very smart, but she went boy crazy. So I was very smart and I became the one who had to prove everything for the family. And so I was very driven by achievement, right? Because everybody, everything that was happening in my home was so all consuming that Mm -hmm. nobody really had time for me and they didn't need to because I was smart and I just did what I needed to do. And that was easy, right? The challenge, however, came when I got into this relationship in high school because there was nothing that I attempted that I did not succeed at. And so when I got into this relationship and things started getting rocky, I convinced myself that if I worked harder, it would work because everything I do, right? And my mom always told me, my parents always told me, like, if you work hard, you can have whatever you want. You can Mm. do whatever you want to do. You can become whatever you want to become. And we have to be careful about the lessons we instill in our children and each other because it works the other way. I was committed to making this relationship that was never supposed to work, work. Mm -hmm. Even when it became abusive, even when it was causing me depression, even when I was withdrawing from classes in college because I was just so overwhelmed, I was losing jobs. I was just you know, relationships were becoming challenged. I was estranged from my family and I was very young through all of this. We're talking like 
it didn't really start getting bad until like early college, but we were together from 11th grade until very early adulthood, mid twenties. Right. And, and the reason why I stayed so long is because I was committed to succeeding. If I could make everything else work, there had to be a way that I could make this relationship work. And I was wrong. Right. And so then I had to shift into being committed to succeed without the relationship. And of course, for that to happen smoothly, both parties have to be agreeable that the relationship should end. And in my case, that wasn't the case. So at this point, we have two children. I'm done with college, right? And, you know, trying to build a life of success. And of course, the facade that I have, the successful life is there. Like I had the good jobs and the nice home and the cars and my kids were gorgeous. And we took nice family photos, but behind closed doors, I was struggling. I was literally dying on the inside. And so when I finally got to the point where I said like, this is enough, this is it. It wasn't, um, we weren't agreeable to that, right? It was a very tumultuous. Well, you were. He was not. Right. It was a very tumultuous breakup, and um, to the extent that, like, I moved out of the place that we shared together, like while he was gone, like he came home and I was gone because I was just so afraid. Yeah. And then, you know, as things continued to heat up, I was like staying with friends for like months at a time because I was like getting stalked and threatened and all of the things. Right. And finally, I was just like, this is it. Like, I can't keep living out of grocery store shopping bags. I can't keep like moving my children around. I was like, I'm going yeah. home. I'm going to stand up and, you know, I want my life back. And it sounded good in theory. Um, But again, it wasn't what he wanted. And so ultimately, one evening, he broke into my home um, with a gun and I was shot. And so it completely shifted the trajectory of my life. And yeah, um, my children at the time were two and a half and maybe just shy of one. So it was a very, very traumatic and tumultuous and challenging time. And even more so because for as much as we, as for as many negative things we experienced, he was my first love. We grew up together. We had children together. So it was a very, it was a very tough thing to deal with. Yeah. Very tough thing to deal with. Because like we talked about, when you have to release those things, and it's been something that you've ultimately dealt with for so long, mm-hmm. it's it's tough. But it got to the point where I knew there was more to life for me. I knew there was more to life for my children. And in the moment that I was facing the barrel of that gun, I was just like, I end up, you know, I have to. There was a point where we were engaged in like the struggle and I like when people tell you or you see in the movies and they say like your light their life flashed before their eyes they don't make that up that's real like I sat I stared at that gun and I saw like myself graduating from high school and like me breastfeeding my son in the hospital and you know I just saw all of these memories it was it was I don't know it's it's it was a transformational, very challenging thing. And even when I share about it now, it's almost like I've lived two lives. 
before and after? Yes, because now I'm so far removed from it. So that kind of is like the build up and like the blow up, if you will. Um, And and then kind of the aftermath of that was like I I was very overweight at the time. Just the stress of having two children very close together. And of course, the stress of dealing with all of the trauma with the relationship. I ended up in the mid well, very shortly after in the midst filing bankruptcy. So I was financially just disgraceful. And then after that happened, I was displaced because I was afraid to go home. So I was ultimately homeless. I ended up in a domestic violence shelter with my children. I couldn't walk for several months because my my femur was shattered with the bullet. It was just it shot you in the leg. Yes. So what happened was at one point we got into a struggle. We were standing up and we got into a struggle and I took the gun from him. I always say all of the Lifetime movies I watched, they never helped me. So I <laughs> I got the gun from him and then I like panicked. Like, oh my gosh, I had the gun. And while I'm trying to figure out what to do with the gun, he's like, oh, she has the gun. So he pulled it back from me. And when he pulled it back, he pulled it from the trigger and it went off. There was no safety. Oh, gun. So thankfully, because of the way we were kind of like in a tug of war, it was pointing down. And so... While it was, you know, an injury, it wasn't as severe as it could have been. Now, what happened to him? And then we'll move forward. So initially, um, he was like on the run, which was part of the reason why I went into the shelter because sure. we had been together for so long. You know what I mean? There was nowhere I could go that he would not have known. I was displaced from our home and I was just very, once I got out of the hospital, I was just very, um, anxious right I was and for people that don't know um who have never experienced working with a domestic violence shelter they often have shelters where they work extremely hard to protect the address it's never posted only a certain number of volunteers are allowed okay. to even know where this place they have is to have like a passcode yes. and like you're not supposed to get picked up in front of the the location like you're supposed to go across the street or around the corner to like a local business and of course that was challenging for me because like I said I was on a walker for a long time then I had a wheelchair and of course both of my children were like under two so it was very challenging right um but yeah so after he ultimately he ended up going to jail okay so when before we plus before we test play before we pressed play um, we had discussed your journey from a very unhealthy, abusive relationship into a healthy relationship. So I have a lot of clients who are going through that and they are like wigged out by how strange it feels to be treated with respect and with kindness and to not have someone blow up or always have to walk on eggshells. So what was that process like for you? Well, what I will say is that first and foremost, even before you attempt that, it's very important to spend some time with yourself and get to know yourself as a single person again and enjoy that. You know, I think for a long time for me, I spent time in the relationship wanting to be single. And then I actually was single and had an opportunity to enjoy that. And then I felt like, okay, now I'm ready to potentially be in a relationship, right? Um, But I can tell you that when I got married, one of the things my husband always had to say to me was, Tiffany, we're on the same team. 
Um, you know, this is not a fight. We're working together. I can give you an example. He and I yeah. always tell this story. He thinks it's funnier than I do, but I can laugh about it now. So we have a game room in the basement and one of our neighbors was getting new furniture and he was like, you know, I have this couch. I want to give it to you for the boys. They'll have it in the basement, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, perfect. So um, we're moving this couch, my husband and I, and the couch is huge. So when it yeah. gets ready to go into the basement door, we kind of got it jammed halfway in and halfway out. And so my husband's like, okay, Tiffany, you need to do X, Y, Z. And I was like, okay. And then it still was jammed. He's like, I'm kind of getting tired. I don't think you're listening to what I'm saying to do. And so I was like, you know what? You can just go upstairs and I'll move it myself. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, Tiffany, like, are you like, you don't have to do, first of all, you don't have to do anything by yourself anymore. Number one, which is weird. Are you really going to put this couch on your back and move it? And, and honestly, Amanda, it was, it's my go-to instinct. Right. And the reason is because I, I felt for so long that I was violated in that other relationship that I've taken a stance now where I refuse to let anyone else violate me in that way. I will exert my strength. I will exert my power and I will not, I will, you know, there's a wall there. And yeah. so that was probably the hardest part for me was first to let him in and yeah. then to bring that wall down. Because the last time I brought that wall down, you know, it was used against me. Right. Yes. So that's a really, I think that's a lovely way to frame. So extreme independence is actually a trauma response. So not mm -hmm. only did you have to deal with yourself when you were a child in your family dynamics where children in an ideal world should not have to do that. You had to. But, you know, in a in a healthy family dynamic where where the trauma is not being lived, children should be interdependent. They should be able to rely on their parents. And and it sounds like you being the youngest learned pretty early, like, oh, there's so much chaos that I'm just going to not cause any and I'm just going to yes. do things myself. So yes. you have a lifetime of only depending on you. Well, you know, depending on the your ex who not not the most healthy choice, but right. it, you know, it wasn't, it sounds like it was, there were good times as well. And so right. it makes sense that your reaction was to kind of swing to the other side and to say, I can only depend on me. I'm never going to be let down like that again. And all of those things are trauma responses. So not yes. only do you have to be aware of them, which is its own hurdle, but being aware of them and not judging yourself so that you can say, you know what, maybe this serves me in some capacities, but it doesn't always serve me. Is this one of those instances? Exactly. And that is, and that I learned uh, from committing to therapy, but mm -hmm. also I learned from not um, taking offense to when my husband would say things to me, like being able to accept constructive criticism without feeling like I was being torn down. And yeah. also learning to pause and yes. respond as opposed to reacting. Mm -hmm. so that sounds probably like something very simplistic. But like you said, when it's a trauma response, it's different. Most of the things that and I tell this to everyone, anything I ever talk about is simple. It is not easy. It's not easy. 
especially the way our brains get wired when we have a behavior that protected us mm-hmm. because our little gremlin brains are lazy and they love patterns and all it cares about is keeping our meat sack alive, not necessarily about anything else. It will say, oh, this thing saved my life once. I'm going to use it forever now. That's right. But the problem when we build those kinds of walls is that not only do you keep the bad stuff out, you have the potential to bring to keep the good stuff right. out, too. Well, you do, because you can't have one without the other. You can't have sadness without joy. You can't have laughter without crying. It's always a spectrum. And if you shut yourself off from one, you shut yourself off from others. So you have gone through this whole, you know, traumatic childhood, struggled with so many things, went to college, had that huge trauma. How did you transition into what you do now? <laughs> How did I transition into I, to what I do now? Well, other than sometimes blind luck. Um, it in the midst of everything that was going on because of who I became just in the midst of growing up that way, I was always the one who was doing well, right? I was the one who graduated high school and went to a good college. I, and I got the scholarship that my parents always said I would work hard and get a scholarship. And then yeah. I was the one in the family who got good jobs and did all of these things. So I was always the go-to for help. When people needed help in transitions, like a resume or they were looking for a job, they came to me, right? Mm -hmm. So I was a life coach before I was a life coach. And Mm -hmm. it was a gift for me to be able to know what questions to ask people so that I could help them get from where they were in transition to where they wanted to transition to. And I had a love for writing. So it was a natural progression for me into the life, uh, life coach space. Um, and at the time, I didn't know that's what it was, but that's kind of how the transact the transition started. I was helping people. I was life coaching people through recreating their resumes, which ultimately was helping them recreate their lives after job loss or being fired and wanting to do something else and helping them to understand how all of their skills and experiences could parlay into something else. That's how yeah. it started. And I was doing that in high school and in college a lot. And that's kind of what opened the door to the transition. And then once I started to share my story, it opened it up to be on, you know, family and friends and the people who they referred to people who had more traumatic experiences or more abrupt transitions that they were trying to work through and being able to help them through that. That's kind of the foundation for it. So you have written a book, you have a journal, you have a podcast, you do the coaching. Which came first? Which is your favorite? So which came first? Um, actually, what I what I did. Hmm, what, well, I would say in all of those things, probably the book came first, right? Um, and the book interestingly enough, the the seeds for that book were planted when I was in that shelter. I had this legal pad that I carried around and I was just so in awe of the fact that I was in the situation that I was in and the things that were happening in the shelter. And I would tell the women every day, like, when this is over, I'm going to write a story about this. And what happened even then, Amanda, was for me, it was just like something I said 
I always knew I would be an author, but I didn't really want that to be the book I wrote um, because I didn't want to be the domestic violence girl. But what happened in the midst was it gave all of us something else to hold on to in that time, right? So I wrote the book 10 years to the date almost of what happened to me. Wow. So it took some while for a while for me to get there. Um, but before I was before I wrote the book, I was blogging for a while. So I would say that blogging is what was the lead, what led me into all of the other things that I do is how I started to build community, how I started to make connections with more women that I didn't necessarily know or want or who weren't like friends of friends. Yeah. And then it just transitioned from there. So it sounds like um so I'm not very religious, but I, I do think Christianity has some really good quotes. And one of them that I like is you don't have to see the whole staircase. You just have to take the first step. And that sounds like something you've done along the way is you're like, well, I'll do this next thing. And I don't really know where it's going, but I feel good about it. This feels in alignment with me. So I'm just going to keep walking and good stuff happens. Well, I'll be completely honest with you. My faith is in large part why any of this has been done. Right. When people ask me, like, what's your why? First of all, it's because this is what God is telling me to do. And I can be also very transparent in saying that God and I were in tug of wars about this for a very long time. <laughs> um, I did not want to do a lot of the things that he was saying. This is what I needed to do. But I recognize now that he knew what he was talking about. Um, but yes, Sometimes I, the universe just keeps throwing stuff at you. And it's like, take this <laughs> if I did not have my faith, I probably wouldn't be doing any of this. Not even probably. I wouldn't be doing any of this. Who knows where I would be if I didn't if I didn't have the relationship with God that I have. So definitely, yes. M more often than not, it's been a faith walk. And yeah. I can also say, too, that my trauma response and my need to control has delayed <laughs> the amount of time that it's taken me to get to this point because it's like oh take this step and then not know what's happened and not be able to calculate it I think not I'll just stay over here where it's comfortable and people think I'm doing amazing because I have a quote-unquote good job and I'll figure it out but because it was so out of alignment with who I was created to be I was miserable Miser yes, your comfort zone is I I actually call it the misery zone oh my because God. that's all it is it was miserable for me. And that's not any type of jab at anybody who has an amazing career and knows it's yeah. where they're supposed to work and serve. But I knew very early on that it was not my path. And I tried for way too long to force it. My favorite space. So, well, one of my, my favorite and my most hated space is where I watch people who know they are miserable. They're doing the same stuff. They're getting, they just, they're like, something is so wrong. And they may know what it is. Sometimes they don't. But when they're in that space, I'm just like eating popcorn. Like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> because I know the next step is, I need to do something about this. And then I'm like shoving popcorn in my mouth. And I'm like, this is the best thing ever. And it's like, you don't people don't change until they're miserable enough and that takes a certain amount of acceptance to say shit <laughs> like i don't really know where this is going but i'm willing to have faith in myself mm -hmm. enough to say i can do the next thing and then i can do the next thing that's right and you just keep doing next things until you look back and you're like 
holy crap. The thing. The thing. All the things. Like, and I tell people all the time, and, and this sounds like something you would probably agree with, like, everything is simple. Not many things are easy, but it's simple. Like, you built a business, so you wrote a book, and you wrote a journal, and you coach people, and you do a podcast. Like, that's only four things. Now, there's things within those things, but realistically, it's only, like, four things. And none of those things are incredibly hard. Like, they're not like the opposite of simple isn't like complicated, but they're not easy. Yeah. And, and I think that it's because we're in our heads that it's complicated, mm-hmm. right? The yes. clarity comes in the doing is what one of my coaches always mm-hmm. told me. The more you do, the more clear you get. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be smooth sailing. Obviously we learn when things don't go the way we plan them to and we correct and we keep doing the next best thing so it's Mm -hmm. literally what you said one foot in front of the other you can't see the whole staircase but at least you can see the next step and you have to be willing to take it or you will always be in the same spot right and that spot is miserable and if you hate something pivot just pivot do something until you hate it or it doesn't work and then do something else i always say you would much rather be at the bottom of the right ladder than at the top of the wrong one. Ooh, please do a book of quotes. I love these. Um, yeah, that is very true. Like better that you create your own life and you are empowered to do so than you're handed what you get. And that's also perpetuates a victim mentality where people say, Ooh, but, 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 but this happens, this happens. And it's like, homie, you need to go happen to life. Like your life happened to you. Like go, go happen to life. And then once people start, and I swear they take one step and then they're like, oh, this was so easy. And I'm just like, I know. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. So you do, um, tell us about what you do and how to connect with you and what it looks like with the work that you do. Because coaching comes in so many forms. So So the work that I do through the Tiffany Huff experience is twofold. Um, So I work with authors and aspiring authors to help them break through the myth of writer's block, get their books written and build a business ministry or lifestyle with their story. That's one part of it. I also work with women to help them get clear and make sure they aren't getting stuck as they're building whatever is being built through their stories. Now, do you... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to ask if you normally self-publish or if you tend to go oh, through publishers. No, I self-published and I and I teach my clients to do the same. What was that journey like? It's actually not as challenging as you think it is. The self-publishing piece to me is not the hard part. The challenging part is doing the work and interviewing your editor and making sure you have a good synergy with your editor so that your story as it's being edited is still maintaining your voice and your tone and the perspective that you want to have. Right. It's about having taking your time and looking for the right person to develop your cover so that when someone sees the cover, it speaks to your story properly and it has a part of who you are in it, right? As opposed to just taking your stuff and giving it to people and allowing them to do with it what you will. I always tell my clients that your story is like your baby, right? 
you don't take your baby to any childcare provider for your baby to be nurtured and expect your baby to grow healthy and strong. And so it's really about that process. Once the book is written, you don't just go like hands off. You have to be very on and intentional about who you allow access to what you're trying to birth into the world. And I would imagine now, because the publishing world is changing, that there are many freelance publicists, editors, graphic designers, people who are either still in that world and freelancing or people who have left that world because freelancing is allows them more creative license or pays better or, you know, whatever people do to follow their dreams. But so it, I would imagine like there's a lot of people to choose from. There are a lot of people to choose from, and that's why you have to do your due diligence Mm -hmm. and do your research and take your time and not rush the process, right? Like I tell people all of the time, you need to consider an editor the way you would like if you were on a dating app and you were trying to consider who you wanted to date. And you have to interview them and have some conversations before you like pay them your money and give them your book. You know, you have to do that with everybody that's going to be involved in the process from your coach to your editor, to your cover art designer, to if if you're going to use someone to help you with the self-publishing process, even that person, because there are certain nuances to how you list your book and how you describe your book that determine, you know, how successful it will be when self-published. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So you work with women personally and also if they are building a brand or a business and writing books. Right. And and ultimately, I work with women who are storytelling because not everybody tells their story via a book. But I really work with women who have had and, and I'm very niched. So I work specifically with women who have a personal story to share and want to use it to build something else with it and helping them to really tap into the root of their message and using that to build. And there's, I'm sure, a ton of women because we all have stories. That's right. You know, all of us do. We do. Mm, I love this. How do people find you? So people can find me all over the Internet, Instagram, (laughs) Facebook, Twitter, YouTube at the Tiffany Huff. And um, my website is TiffanyHuffExperience.com. And my podcast is The Bounce Back Blueprint, and it's all over all of the platforms where you listen to your podcast, Apple, Google Play, Spotify. Why why The Bounce Back Blueprint? Well, the reason why the podcast is called The Bounce Back Blueprint is because it's really about me helping, again, that particular woman who is trying to rebuild following that trauma. So I start with the journey of helping her rebuild herself and then take her into the process of clarifying her message, breaking through writer's block and building that blueprint, or excuse me, building that business. So it's the blueprint to get you to bounce back and be the holistic woman that you were created to be with your strong inner self and outer self. And now you have two books. What are those called and where do people find them? Both can be found on Amazon. One is called 30 Day Stay, one woman's story of healing from heartbreak, finding hope and homelessness. And that is the one that's about what we talked about with the um, shelter and everything. And then the other one is called Empower Moments, and it is a 31 day devotional 
for the everyday woman. So it's a short inspirational um, piece that you can read each day. It has a prayer, it has an affirmation, and it has some writing prompts that you can use just to have that moment in the day where you're prioritizing yourself and empowering yourself to live out loud. And then um, I also create a founded and run a nonprofit that's called When She Thrives. And through When She Thrives, I work with, um, in addition to the other things we do, I work with small cohorts of single moms and help them to do the same process of writing and self-publishing their stories. And we do that in um, anthologies. So we have um, now three volumes of scenes from a single mom. And you can find those on Amazon as well. All of those things are so beautiful. What a gift your grief gave you. Yes, absolutely. Mm. So if you were gonna, oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying I'm in awe of it every day. Like that, this is now my life. It is a pretty dope life. Thank so you. So if you were gonna leave our people with one thing that you just, if they hear nothing you say today. What do you want them to remember? Mm. Well, I think the one thing that I want everyone to remember is that if you are walking around with a story inside of you that has the potential to impact others greatly, that you are responsible for someone else being stuck when you choose to be stuck. Someone else's blessing, someone else's breakthrough is assigned to your story and you're responsible for the way that you steward it. And I I hope that after this conversation, you will take some time and reflect about how you're stewarding it and how you can be a better steward of it for the betterment of the world. Powerful. Okay. Thank you so much. You are beautiful. We'll have links to everything so everyone can find you and your books and awesome. all of the other. Oh, so I will press stop record and then we can jam. Thank you so much. No, dude. Thank you. Okay, Root of Power fam. What a freaking powerhouse. Like I told you in the beginning. Her journey and her story is so incredible. Like, I really don't think that I would have that good of an attitude after being freaking shot. Or I would have a really dark sense of humor, right? So it kind of goes one way or the other. Thank you so much for listening and for choosing to spend time with us. I appreciate you guys so much. As always, feel free to screenshot and tag me in Instagram. I love seeing when you guys are listening to this. And if there is anything I can do for you, shoot me a message. Y'all, enjoy your day.